Crock Elite, a podcast about no effects. Let's get Red and Eddie to rumble. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah, that's all right, isn't it? I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Not wrestling, but um, our guest today is a wrestling fan. How are you, Red? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you, Eddie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, pleased, very, very pleased. We've got uh, a friend of ours on the show today uh, to interview. That's 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 the exciting thing. Absolutely, it's like the G7 summit of non-binary comedians with alternative tastes in music. It, it is. I, I'm I'm just remembering one person who'll be furious that they weren't included yeah. in that. Andrew O'Neill. <laughs> yes, we're very sorry, Andrew. <laughs> but uh, I did I did ask Andrew. If they uh, liked NoFX, and they said, uh, no, I don't like NoFX. Has met Fat Mike, though. They have. They had lunch together. And yes, yes, I they, believe so, yes. And uh, the Fat Mike and Andrew uh, have had lunch together at uh, a festival, I would imagine, one of the music festivals where uh, NoFX was playing. Andrew said that Mike is lovely. Yes, I spoke to uh, them, and they've always said that whilst they don't enjoy the music of NoFX, Fat Mike is uh, lovely to hang around with. And that is uh, a very, very nice thing to hear, uh, because Mike is divisive, as, uh, mm-hmm. as, as, we'll come, as we'll come into this one. But yes, so what have you been up to this week? Oh, what have I been up to this week? I've been doing some live streams, actually, on Twitch. I've been Ooh. playing uh, Gotham Knights. So I've been patrolling the streets of Gotham, keeping them safe. How is? I've not played oh, that one. It's really good. I mean, it's the latest one, so it's not got Batman in. It's just got no. the Bat family. Um, so, you know, Something Batgirl, like... Red yeah. Hood, Nightwing, Robin. And, you know, it's you know it's pretty good. I, my understanding was that on release, it wasn't very good, but they fixed the bugs now, and it's quite cheap. Oh, that's cool. I'll 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 have a look because uh, I love the Bat Fam. Big yeah, Bat Fam fan. Yeah, Hi. what a guy. Uh, and so yes, I I understand the uh, spoilers, but in the opening um, animation cinematic, you get mm-hmm. uh, you get the death of Batman, one of you the do, yeah. one of the many now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's nice. Some of the Ar- later Arkham games where you got to briefly control someone who wasn't Batman, uh, yeah. you know, you got Catwoman. Did you get, I you think got Red in, Hood in one of them or you, uh, was that just in the training simulators? Oh, maybe it was. I think you could do that. I think there was a later one where maybe you could be Nightwing or something, but, or, um, the, oh, you could play Asriel in one of them. Oh, cool! Really, in those little yeah, just in a little side. Basically, you'd you'd go around, and then there were sort of these very high up places where there would be a burning bat logo on the floor, and Azrael would be kneeling there. And I, and I think it's I think it's quite a good idea that they've like um, so because they've done so many of these Batman games. Hmm. I actually think it's quite brave and clever for them to go. Oh, we're going to kill him off for this one, so you can play as other characters. Yes, as I'm as I. I've read comics before, quite a lot of them, and I'm not sure how permanent death is in any of them. I mean, there's a Lazarus pit. I mean, of I'm course. kind of expecting him to come back at the end anyway. That's what I was thinking. I, I, I wouldn't like to say either way, but if if he did turn up, I'd just go, oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Batman's back. <laughs> yeah, because uh, whoever kills him at the beginning, I can't remember. Who is it? It's, it's uh, Ra's al Ghul. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. So just because I was thinking like, well, you know, he, he kind of, he kind of kills himself. He like explodes the bat cave with him in, but it is to right. defeat Ra's al Ghul. Right, 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 right. Because I would imagine that uh, Talia or the the League of Assassins or someone will just scoop up whatever matter they can find, dump oh, it yeah. in a Lazarus pit, and then both uh, Ra's al Ghul and Batman will just wander out of it, or a revolting hybrid. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Someone make Clayface look over and go, ugh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I'll probably try that out. I finally got around to playing the uh, last Tomb Raider game in the most recent trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I heard it wasn't... I heard it was a bit of a step backwards from... Was it Rise? Because there was like the first... Yeah. You know, uh, I heard it was a bit of a step backwards in a few ways. But again, I think the the bugginess they've managed to patch. I mean, you'd think they'd just do that before releasing it, but yeah, it's just it's annoying, isn't it? It's it's a bit like well, the thing is, right, is that I don't know if you've heard about the uh, production story behind Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Oh right, yeah, yeah. It it's too long to go into now, but it was essentially they they said we're going to make one. They said all right then, but it the contract stipulated it had to be released on the day that it was released. And it just snowballed. People left the project. Gene Roddenberry <laughs> could just intercepted every draft of every script and rewrote it before handing it to the studio. So people were going to the writers, what? this is dog shit. So they go, that isn't my script. And... <laughs> <laughs> and so it just, people left. Um, Nimoy wasn't going to be on board to do it, so they invented a new Vulcan. And then Nimoy said, no, I will do it. So they kicked up that guy. And so the guy who was going to play the new Vulcan got like a bit part. And and all of this, it was just, just an absolute... Ma- but they managed to, on that day, have the premiere of Star Trek The Motion Picture and go, look, that is a complete film. Look, we did it. But you don't have to come back later and go, oh, here's that scene that we're just going to upload <laughs> into it. You know, it's, um, so yeah, people, because it can be fixed afterwards, people are a bit slack about that shit, which is very irritating. <laughs> it's all down to money. I'm sure the programmers don't go, oh, fuck it, we'll just do it later. It's just because they go, we need to release it now. Anyway, yeah. I think because we cover so much, I say we. Will covers a lot of ground. They're a wonderful comedian because they're just someone who, like, you wind them up and you just let them go. Uh, they've got oh, yeah. such a, like, a, a bountiful fountain of, of knowledge about... So I mean, I, I'd go as far to refer to them as, like, a, a historian, you know? Mm. Like, they, they, they harbor so much knowledge of, like, certain subcultures and alternative histories, Um things that you aren't going to get a documentary on BBC iPlayer about. But, you know, I I want to hear about Saturday morning wrestling. Why Will has not been a frequent talking head in these I love 19 whatever is astounding to me. That's a really good point because those are the perfect vehicles for them. I I think, like, I suppose those kind of like fell out of favor whilst um, Will was um, experiencing uh, their sort of like, um, uh, you know, popularity back when they they won um, Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, they did. Uh, An award that uh, may well not happen ever again. 
Uh, oh yeah! Just recently, oh, well. we found out that uh, the 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 poor little Finch or poor little Eddie Befinch, all of the 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 awards for the best new clever. Oh no, <laughs> not got any money for it. <laughs> I don't know where all that fucking money's gone. But apparently, <laughs> they don't. They can't spare two two hundred grand, which is what they're asking for. Now that sounds like a lot of money. If you knew just how much money the Edinburgh Fringe Society rakes in from people, the fact they can't find that to spend on some sort of bauble for, you know, whichever act they've decided is going to win the award before the bloody festival starts. Well, they've actually also, um, the Edinburgh Fringe has just been awarded uh, £8.6 million by the British government. So the idea that they can't run... The awards because they cost what something like twenty two hundred fifty k or something. Yeah, but you've just been given eight million. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's not to uh, even start on the hundreds that it takes to register a show if you want to put that in their um, outmoded um, non digital book. But they uh, have got an app. Oh, oh, finally. Anyway, sorry, that's a lot of inside baseball um, for uh, uh, people who are not comedians there. Will is a, an award-winning comedian and, yeah, punk rock historian or just subculture historian. Will is someone yeah. who has been, as, as you'll hear, they've been a part of a lot of subcultures. Yes. And their interest and sort of passion for those things is infectious and um absolutely captivating so uh this is um this is a uh this is a great episode H- hands up we've already recorded the interview we're recording this intro afterwards but uh yeah <laughs> absolutely wonderful so i think we should just jump straight in uh i've done the worst thing we've been talking for like 10 minutes just jump straight in let's go and do the interview now we'll see you on the other side <laughs> And that's happening right now. We're here with Will Hodgson. Hi, Will. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you two guys? Yeah, we're okay, thank yeah, you. Well, wow. this is yes. like a this is like a all all NB podcast. I think <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. the you're you're the first uh, first non-binary guest we've had on. I'm just having a mental flick through all the previous guests, just in case I've done something dreadful. No, 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 you are. Um, yeah. So, and and thanks so much for being here. Finally, um, can lay to rest precisely what Fat Mike's opinion on the queer community. No, no, that's for a, <laughs> for another day. But yes, yeah, so we're here with uh, Will Hodgson, uh, comedian, barber, pornographer, and non-binary icon. Oh, I wouldn't go as far as icon, but that's. <laughs> That's nice to hear. <laughs> well, you know, I've given you a brief introduction, but if you'd introduce yourself to our listeners um, of what it is you do and where you fit in in all of this stuff. So my name's Will. I'm from uh, Chippenham, which is in the southwest of England. And I've been into um, punk rock since I was about 13 years old, and I'm 45 this year. So it's been a fair old... Um, personal association with liking punk music and culture and I'm a stand-up comedian, a barber and I also as you say pornographer, I do Baldy Comics which is a uh, pornographic comic which is like a queer core uh, DIY cut and paste 
porn comic and it's very inspired by uh, punk zines and zine culture as well as punk and skinhead culture. Um, so I suppose I fit into this as a general punk enthusiast, I suppose, and punk performer. I suppose I, I was never in a never a musician, even at like a punk level. So I kind of I suppose I sort of did comedy instead of being in a band, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, all, as far as I remember, and I I first saw you when my sister pointed out a flyer at the fringe we were up one year it was before i did comedy uh we were up uh just on a, a holiday to the the fringe we have relatives in edinburgh so we had somewhere to stay for free and she pointed out this um brilliant flyer with um uh this figure with this pink mohawk and a leopard print uh coat with straight out of chippenham written on it uh <laughs> on the flyer not the coat and uh she said do you want to go and see this i said you know i do so we went to see you uh that year and um yeah i was like wow this is this this is what you know people have claimed to be sort of rock and roll comedians or punk rock comedians and that generally means they keep their leather jackets on while on stage but this was um this was uh sort of really something else i i was and sort of, you know super impressed by that well thank you that's re- that's really nice to hear it really is i've still got the jacket i just can't fit into it anymore uh, I've, got, I've got a few legacy clothes as well here <laughs> you are you are sort of musicless punk in that you do from from what I understand, you sort of take all of the things that that pique your interest and <laughs> fling them together with uh, limited explanation and zero apology, which is about <laughs> as punk as uh, you can get. Well, thank you. That's also really nice to hear. I just kind of suppose I was like, I didn't watch a lot of stand up before I started doing stand up. I'd seen like. Um, some of you like kind of big league people, like your Richard Pryors and that kind of, that kind of thing. I'm not really the only time I've ever been to a comedy club was in um, Vegas. I was on a family holiday, and me and my dad went to a club that was in like a small comedy club, like a kind of sort of top room of a bar. And it was that fella, um, this guy Jimmy JJ Walker, who was a American stand-up. I think he was big in the seventies. He was in something called. Good times, I think he used to go oh, yeah. Dino Mites or something like that. But he was um, he was emceeing <laughs> right. it, and there was uh, I can only remember there was a guy or a sumo wrestler puppet who was doing a vent act. And I can't <laughs> remember that. They were all doing jokes about that kid who went to remember the kid who went. This was about nineteen ninety three four. That kid, the American kid who went to Singapore or Thailand or somewhere, and he graffitied a car and he got like publicly flogged or something like that, and. It was like a, it was one, like a eh? sort of minor thing in the news. It was like like Bill Clinton was trying to save him from getting flogged, and people were going, right. "Oh, we could do with a bit of that over here." Let me tell you what, yeah. and that was very much the sort of tone of Jimmy Walker was all like, "He'll never look at another can of spray paint," and all of that. Well, actually, that's any comedy I've been I've been to, so I was more kind <laughs> of inspired, I suppose, by like your. Um, spoken word punk performers like Jello Biafra and uh, Attila the Stockbroker who I was fortunate enough to work with like years and years 
later, and mm-hmm. uh, that those kind of like ranting poets and sort of spoken word punk performers, Lydia Lunch, and those sort of people. So um, that was what I was inspired by, and that was um, I had to have a bit of a sort of semi rethink of that, I suppose. <laughs> when I first started, because I did, I, I thought it was all going to be more. I was under the impression it was all going to be fucking lefties and um, <laughs> like Marxist anarchists and stuff in the stand-up circuit and like hyper politically, sort of hyper politically correct and all of that. But oh, mm. it fucking wasn't. It always makes me laugh when people go like, "Oh, the left, the lefty circuit." And that it was just fucking apolitical. It was very much sort of like the arse end of like um, the sort of like loaded sort of sort of loaded culture kind of thing, I suppose, in a lot of ways. It's very yeah, much yeah, yeah. kind of like post-political correctness and that. But the, I think a lot of people who don't go to gigs sort of think, even back then, they're like, oh, it's all going to be like Jenny Lacote and Simon Fanshaw and, and, and all of <laughs> yeah. that, kind of like living in like the sort of mid-80s. Well, ben Elton, I suppose. Joe, Joe Brand as well. Like old old white blokes fucking hate Joe Brand, don't they? Even yeah. now, which is <laughs> yeah, not really... Yeah, yeah on the telly that much, but Christ, they didn't like that fucking through the K-Cole thing. Did I thought it was quite good myself. Yeah. My, my granddad was a tremendous fan of it, which is, um, seeing as he was like a retired detective chief inspector and a member of the Rotary Club, I thought, I don't, I, you'd think he wouldn't, but he was, he, he, she was brilliant. It's funny yeah. what people like, but, um, yeah, that was my kind of, I thought comedy was going to be a lot more kind of connected to, punk and alternative culture and I got into it and I soon realised that we're like some exceptions it, it, it sort of just wasn't there's nothing wrong with that but it just wasn't what I was expecting it to be like mm-hmm. no it's it's always a surprise people when when I started doing stand-up people said what was the the biggest surprise and um, being someone who grew up not enjoying football I was prepared because in every social situation conversation generally turns around to football at some point or other and I thought <laughs> there'd be a fair bit of green room chat about football and it was it wasn't the lack of football it was the sheer amount of wrestling that um comedians <laughs> like, like it was in I hadn't heard anyone talk about wrestling for years for so yeah. long and all of a sudden everyone was talking about it and I, so that was you know it, it, that was neither here nor there it was just a, a surprising uh one of those surprising things what was your biggest surprise Red? Um, hmm, that's an interesting one. I don't know. I think like just generally how different, um, different parts of the country are to each other. Like when you, when you gig on the road, you see so many different like cities, towns, uh, little villages, and you, you gig in all of them. And I find it quite strange how different people's reactions are in different areas, but then also how similar certain areas are to others. I mean, like, you know, you can find like quite conservative areas, both in, uh, like a country golf club, but then also in, you know, central London. And it's interesting that like those two, I don't know, like different environments can have similar reactions and then similar environments can have completely different reactions. Yeah. Um, you, so think I, you, you think you know where the, uh, the the people who dismiss London as the metropolitan liberal <laughs> elite and stuff. And it's like, uh, not not all of it. Absolutely. But also like, it, it's just, you know, things can always surprise you. So it, I feel like you can go into a gig thinking it's they're going to only like certain things and they people can always surprise you. That's true. Uh, and f- I, I find that it's more often that you'll find somewhere like um, a sort of what is broadly a private members club 
somewhere out in the sticks that lets the rest of the village in if there's a function on they're oddly enough more likely to be sort of down with a lot wider scope of comedy than some you know some like weekend clubs in you know actual cities that you'd expect to be a bit more anyway but yeah <laughs> no it's a it's a funny old one uh that but um so but, but we we predominantly talk about punk rock here so you say you, you got into punk rock when you're about 13 um what what was that what did that punk look like what was the what were the the groups and the Stuff like that. So I first got into it. So first of all, it was first of all it was metal and hard rock for me. So I'm, I went down the my entry thing was I was aware of punk from like a young age. I'm, when I grew up in the eighties, it was a pretty much it was the punk look was everywhere. You'd see punks on the TV, usually in things like Minder and the Sweeney as like extras. Every arcade game as you go beat them up arcade game as you're going around beating up punks in <laughs> subway and stuff there were um just representations of it everywhere and all you really knew about punks at that point was they were kind of like just as a kid you just thought they were hooligans with like elaborate hairstyles usually yeah. mohawks and that kind of thing that they were kind of like street gang types because from watching like and all the bad guys in a lot of 80s cartoons particularly the female bad guys had this sort of punk aesthetic, like in the Telebugs, which was this um, cartoon with these like three robot things that had like TVs for faces. And I think Kate Copstick did one of the voices for it, but there was a, <laughs> but I think she voiced the bad guy in it. It was called Arcadia and had like a massive rainbow mohawk. So the look was, <laughs> the look was everywhere. The actual music was kind of sort of shrouded a bit in mystery. When I was a kid, we were two sort of, um, we were caught because I was born in 78. So I was born at the kind of the end of like the height of the first wave of punk. So mm-hmm. any, anyway, I, my entry thing was basically Guns N' Roses and Kerrang! magazine. So I started buying Kerrang! magazine because I was into Guns N' Roses. I liked um, Black Sabbath, ACDC, Iron Maiden. I also liked Queen. Before that, I was in the first music I was into was stuff like Madonna, um, Prince, Michael Jackson, um, really just like you just didn't think that he did like he was incredibly popular mm-hmm. back then. I still got still like I don't really play it now because it sort of don't feel right, but he was but he was a huge thing when I was about like eight or nine years old. When the but when especially when the bad album was out, it was like there was a kid from my year at school had been to see him live at Wembley, and it was like he'd had an audience with like Jesus Christ or something like that. <laughs> it's what makes it frightening though, because you think about the sort of like the, what the big pedestal we had him on, and it's sort mm. of it's scary, do you know what I mean, with what's been been said about him now. But uh, but my first thing was pop, first band I liked was Culture Club, that was my first favourite band I had a t-shirt off but then I got into Guns N' Roses because I was in the Sea Cadets and everyone was into Guns N' Roses and I was like sort of mucking in and fitting in and that so I got into the first thing I had was Use Your Illusion 2 and it was like midway it was like it wasn't even rewound it's like my mate lent it me and I just put it on midway through it was straight in that middle bit of Get In The Ring where he's going like suck my motherfucking dick McWall and Kerrang and that and I was like well, fucking hell this is like quite a this is quite a thing like this. So that was that piqued my interest. And then I started buying Kerrang! magazines. So in Kerrang! magazine, there used to be a, 
guy called Morat or Morat, I suppose, because it was like umlaut. It was like M O R A T, but it was like umlauted, like Motorhead. And he used to write about. He used to write about a lot about Motorhead, I think. He used to write a lot about punk. He was like the resident punk guy in Kerrang. So he used to write about um, a lot of sort of hardcore punk bands that were, I suppose, he thought would cross over. So uh, the first bands I was aware of, everyone sort of knew about the Sex Pistols. They were kind of known, they were sort of bigger than punk. Do you know what I mean? Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious, you kind of knew the vague gist of them. And I think the first thing that, or the first punk record I had, though, was I think the Ramones' Too Tough to Die, which my mum bought me. Um, Mm. She went to, uh, my mum knew nothing. My my mum didn't even uh, like punk. She sort of gets it now, but she was quite sort of like everyone else's mum didn't like it Mm. at the the time. But um, I was, I can't remember I'd heard of the Ramones. I think it was Skid Row had done a cover version of Psychotherapy on a free CD that I got with, they used to be a thing called Metal CD. We'd get a free CD with it with like a 15-track CD on it. Um, and this was uh, one of the tracks on a skid row, I think we're doing like a covers album. They'd covered Psychotherapy by the Ramones. I really liked that track. So I was a bit curious about who the Ramones were because I think I'd heard the name, but I thought they sort of sounded more like a kind of pop band than like a pop. I was like, I was like that's insane because I presume that punk bands are going to be called stuff like the festering fucking scabs and stuff like that because of how <laughs> punk's represented in like comics and cartoons and TV sketches and stuff. So mm-hmm. I got my mum was serving um, wind and she said, did you want me to get you a, get you a record from Plum Records that was a very good second-hand vinyl shop. And I said, if they've got any Ramones stuff in the unlikely event. I was back 13 at the time, and she did get me this Ramones album, which was um, mid, well, it was from about 1984, so it was mid-period Ramones, none of the um, big, big hits on it. But I was just, I listened to it, and I was like, well, this isn't, like, apart from, there's two tracks on it that are, like, very sort of thrashy punk songs. The rest of it's kind of, like, I thought this is a lot more melodic than what I presume punk was going to be. I presume it was going to be sort of like one more intense than metal, I guess, that it was. So there was there was that. And then um, the next thing I got was the Sex Pistols. It wasn't Nevermind the Bollocks. It was a compilation called Kiss This, which is basically everything off Nevermind the Bollocks plus the singles. It was basically Nevermind the Bollocks in a wrong, in what I now know to be a wrong order with um, <laughs> Silly Thing and some of the B-sides on it. And mind totally fucking blown by that. And even in the, so the first thing I heard was Anarchy in the UK, because that was the first track on there, because it was the first single. So it goes, Anarchy in the UK, God Save the Queen, Pretty Vacant, Holidays in the Sun, and then all the remaining tracks. I was was absolutely fucking blown away by Mm. this. And it's the way that, um, I still am, do you know what I mean, with that album. I still love that record. I don't care, like, what, Mm -hmm. um, sort of what shit that he comes out with in his old age trying to shock people or whatever. It can't, like, I do, he's probably, uh, possibly an arsehole. He's possibly a very frightened man who would sooner eat his own shit than say to someone, my wife's got Alzheimer's and I'm fucking terrified and I don't know how to deal with being sad other than trying to make everyone else around me as fucking sad as possible so that we all feel shit together. I don't know, but mm. um, it's, it's, I still love that record. It's just a perfect pop yeah. album 
more than anything else. It just completes everything about the production, mm-hmm. the vocals is perfect. So that was me away. The next thing was, um, so there was a thing in Kerrang that was about, um, it was Morat doing, it was, I think it was like a thing about record collection and Morat, Morat, I think it was, must be Morat with the umlauts over it. I don't know how I checked yeah. that. Yeah. But uh-huh. he was like, he was, he put some like, here's some good punk albums. So it was the Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables was one of them. Yeah. Um, the Misfits, who I'd heard of Guns N' Roses, Metallica were covering them. You couldn't get that over. You could not get Misfits or Black Flag records in Britain at the time. You'd have to go to America and get them. It was annoying. But WH Smith's kindly let me order Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables on cassette from them. And it came in. So I used to order stuff from Smith. He used to have like a big book. That was like had all the stuff written in it. You'd have to go through the book, and he'd be like, "There you go, under D, Dead Kennedys," and they'd order it. And it'd come about like a month later, and I'm still waiting for uh, Bad Brains Rock for Light from W. H. Smith. So I don't think <laughs> ever, ever. Come. That was that was another one that Mo Wright used to bang on about as well. Was Rock for was Rock for Light? I don't know why, because the other one's better with the lightning. Yeah. Anyway, the, the fresh fruit for rotten vegetables thing. That was the turning point that was the life changer for me because one something i'd really been into before i was into music was um comedy in terms of i was i loved mad magazine i loved um and spitting image i loved any kind of like obnoxious satire stuff i loved all of that any kind of like comics that were taking the piss out of things and sending things up or apps garbage pale kids wacky packages this is all stuff i was obsessed with and the dead kennedys was kind of like the pistols but as i thought of it with mad so it's like mad magazine type lyrics because it's like california uber alice and all and all of that it's i'm like this is kind of and i was like this is my this is my music i still like other kinds of music but i was like this is the music and mm-hmm. then i was that was it i was i kind of like lost interest in met in metal for a bit and then I was like just trying to get any punk that I could which was easy because punk had no fucking credibility in like 1992 at all there was it was just before there was any kind of resurgence in it and you'd go to mm. record shops second hand ones you say they've got any punk stuff they'd be like the fuck would you want that for they'd be like here you go here's the first the first press the first clash album for 50p you're fucking like you're <laughs> several years too late by the way you sad bastard and that's <laughs> a lot of stuff for quite cheap and I got into the sort of hardcore stuff like um I remember buying the first discharge EP for like a quid in plum records which you, you wouldn't get that for a fucking quid now and um the exploited who were probably so I remember when I first heard the exploited I was like now this is what I was led to believe punk was going to be like from arcade beat-em-ups and like <laughs> Ross Abbott TV sketches and stuff this is like a pissed guy with a big mohawk talking about picking his, picking his nose and like kicking old grannies up and down the street and yeah. the street and all of that. And there was that. And then I got the other one was when I was in the Sea Cadets, there was a kid called Scott Baxter, who was a little raver. Everyone in Chippenham, you got to understand, was fucking ravers back in those days. There weren't even really many metalheads. Chippenham had this big nightclub called Gold Diggers that was like the kind of, the place in town. It had some very well-respected dance music nights in there. It was a like big during disco, and there were some there were some punks scattered about. They were all older than me, but it was everyone was fucking ravers at my at my school. But Scott Baxter had heard me 
um, and my mate Steve who was also in the Canucks who I'd got into punk and he was like oh my dad's in the place have you ever heard of the foreskins and I was like I'm not heard of the foreskins because the foreskins goes oi the album I was like the fuck's oi the album so he, he was like the foreskins A cab all coppers are bastards chaos don't give a toss so his dad did us a tape of um, the first oi comp which was put together by um, Gary Bushel in another life. Gary Bushel, the little SWP member, um, music journalist, rather than Gary Bushel, the um, sort of talk radio um, guy that he is now. And it had the Cockney rejects, the Angelic upstarts on there. And I was this was like a whole other kind of thing altogether. And I thought this is like even more so than the exploited. This is like complete, like fucking, like um, I thought. I thought this is like for fuck. This is for fucking idiots. Now I soon realised it's actually not and it kind of grew on me in a way, especially mm-hmm. that first Foreskins album, which was just like um, the most sort of like raw, basic thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I was like, this is just a load of fucking cockney fucking thugs having like a fucking shat. It's, it's the, the, the B side of it's live and it's like an invited audience. There still seems to be crowd trouble, even though they just invited their mates <laughs> to stand in a studio. He's all like, fuck this. He can do sort of like, you fucking Nazi cunts, fuck off, mug. You don't listen to that fucking lyrics and stuff. It's like you've invited these fucking people in there. But <laughs> that kind of grew on me, and then I kind of got into the idea. Then that was the whole, I'd sort of researched that, and it was like these are skinhead bats. I was like, well, skinheads. I was like, well, they're all fucking even more staples of like, um, TV and arcade beat them ups. It's like if like, punks are like obnoxious skin as like well, they're all fucking Nazis, aren't they? And then but then I got into um started to learn about ska music and two and like and two tone because I was like some I can't remember who like, told me about that. I was like I was like about reggae. I was like skinheads listening to reggae and I was like you gotta be fucking shitting me. They're all they all they're all fucking <laughs> neo Nazis. Like why would why would they listen to reggae this is like like black people listen to reggae nazis listen uh like whatever but then that was kind of that was down the road of that as well was kind of getting into reggae because i i'd again vague sort of knowledge of reggae like my um parents used to like the sort of desmond decker and that kind of thing you're sort of like trojan pop kind of stuff they my parents were both from that sort of kind of scooter ride any sort of background in the 60s when it was uh when it was the fear of that sort of mob generation and and all of that, so I was kind of like aware of aware of reggae, but I didn't um, then the whole punk reggae thing. So it's and it all kind of snowballed. I was big into grunge as well, like later like later on, um, Nirvana especially, and then I kind of like spent a few years just like in between grunge and Britpop. I was kind of like this miniature sort of GBH punk that was the only. <laughs> person under like 30 that gave a shit about it in Chippenham so the only I started hanging around with like I was a bit like that kid in This Is England I suppose I was hanging around with these like <laughs> five year old um, punks like skinheads and, and all of that there was Kev the, the guy Kev Woodward Kev the punk who was um, used to record as Fred Frantic and there was the uh, Eric of the tap dancing budgies who were like a Chippenham um, comedy punk but it was Dave Makepeace had the band Cutthroat Razors and there was um, skinheads in Chip, and there was Jacko, R.I.P., uh, Mark Sandal, who had a glass eye, still about Colin Makepeace, who had barbed wire tattooed around his neck. Back when that was like, when you seen someone like that, you thought, fuck, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you seen people like Jacko had tattoos on his fucking face and his hands, 
and you were like, Jesus fucking Christ, do you know what I mean? But then they all got amalgamated. In, I used to do like stand-up routines about a skinhead guy that I knew there. It was kind of like a, he was kind of an amalgamation of like three or four blokes I used to play cards with. Um or choose as well as a kind of young wannabe skinner. The thing is with skinhead, it's such a, even though it's not, it's not um, about um, Nazis, it's not about Nazis, it's not necessarily about like, it's, it's kind of a lot more of a complicated thing than people, than people think it's, but it's like, it's very kind of gender codified and it is not, it was where I felt the most kind of like um, least able to do it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's very much a boys and girls thing. And that was one of like many, kind of things in me lot points of my life of like feeling like this is like I'm not like I'm accepted here but I'm not kind of like banging out with these skinhead guys a bit but I'm not kind of not accepted as well and I think we sort of both there's a sense of both of us of like you don't belong even though we like you like you're not kind of one of us and I'm sort of like no I'm not but like do you know what I'm saying but like that wasn't made me feel that but it's like there's this kind of like unspoken sort of like your cosplaying a little bit not in terms of like the music I love the music and the culture mm. and the punk culture but th- just I don't know I suppose punk was it I went back to being a punk after Britpop um, I was a mod Britpop type I was hook line and sinker with all of that but then it was exciting because I was 17 and it was I was yeah. starting drinking and experimenting with drugs and like shagging and all of that and it was that was the soundtrack of all that it was like Blur and Oasis and Supergrass and stuff, and then I got more into placebo, Kaniki, the sort of eyelinery bands. And then I was back to being. By the time it was like the two thousands, I was just back to being a got back into punk again. I just kind of like thought Brit Pop had completely lost me. I was into dance music for a bit, like as in sort of left field, um, big beat. That was all big when I was at uni. I had a bit of a sort of time of actually fitting into fitting into things, and so I used to like. Dress like um, Ewan McGregor in Train Spot, and I was a lot sort of thinner in those days as well. I used to walk around with like a hair like this now, and I had gazelles and like a cat's sleeve Adidas t shirt. And I sort of like read the NME and the Melody Maker, and I knew what all the cool shit was, and all of that. I'd have had to be moments of fitting in, but then it just kind of like I just kind of got disillusioned with everything. I just started listening to old punk again. I think Rancid was the catalyst for that because they um, very much brought that kind con- they sort of brought a bit more credibility back to that kind of, that more sort of grotty, scary punk, which I've gotten into from listening to that Oi album. So like your, like your bands like The Foreskins, The Last Resort, and then like your bands like The Exploited and like your Crust Punk. Crust Punk's big in Wiltshire because the subhumans are from round here. They're like our, oh, of course they are, yeah. they're like our sort of band from round here. I, I, they were before my time, but I used to do, I used to fly for Citizen Fish sometimes. No, um, even, cool. I did, even though I didn't go to any of the gigs, but I used to bump into... Uh, um, Jasper, I think his name was in uh, Replay Records in Bath and like Nashers and them sort of places, and he'd be like, you know, he'd give me some flowers and I'd stick them up like around the college and all of that. So that was pretty cool. Nice. I know it, it's interesting. Uh, interesting what you say about the you sort of not feeling it with the the group of skinheads because it is super gendered in sort of presentation, and um, <laughs> see, that's not something that I think any of us in in this uh in this episode sort of feel totally comfortable with but i think it's that it the, the, you're right the skin edit because there's literally two haircuts 
there is the man one and then yeah. the Chelsea one. Yeah. And I've always thought the Chelsea is way more aesthetically interesting and uh, pleasing than, uh, you know, just a, a straight um, a skin up for, for me. But I, I sort of had a similar thing. And I've, it's only just occurred to me is that when I was getting into part of um, a few years younger than you, and when I was getting into punk, that was when sort of the alternative music that was the most popular was new metal coming in your corn, your limp biscuits and all of them lot. Mm-hmm. And punk, the sort of, especially the Californian stuff was sort of simmering along underneath it, but it was never the same thing. And so all of my friends had enormous baggy skate punk slash new metal jeans and I hated them. So I was wearing like, I got my mom to actually drain pipe some drain pipes for me. They like literally take them in further. So I was walking around with, full-on Ramon skin-tight jeans. And I realized that that is the closest thing I could do to wearing, essentially, girl clothes at <laughs> the time, which is sort of what I actually wanted to be doing. But it was, uh, yeah, it's just interesting, that um, thing. I remember, this may well be uh, um, one of your uh, your things in your stand-up will, which you have stated as saying, this is stand-up, not an autobiography. But I seem to recall you saying that... Uh, <laughs> part of your uh, interest in skinheads or your first exposure to it was actually uh through Weetabix yeah definitely that used to be the <laughs> um the Weetabix gang were like a well they kind of shifted so originally the Weetabix gang were skinheads so the tagline yeah. was was you just go Weetabix if you know what's good for you and they were it was dunk it was crunch had like a woolly hat and a football <laughs> scarf and like Brian was like the Sort of, he was either much younger or much stupider. You couldn't really tell what they were going for with that. Bixie was the girl, but she didn't have a, didn't have a fringe. She had like bows. Oh yeah, in her, yeah, in her yeah. wheat, and um, then the brains <laughs> had like big glasses, like Bruce Reynolds of the Great Train Robbery, like big glasses and not like, no visible eyes. But then yeah, after yeah. that, they became Soul Boys for a bit. And Dunk had like a Michael Jackson outfit, and the other lot had Hawaiian shirts and bowling yeah. bowling shoes and stuff. And Bixie was a cheerleader. That was very much in the vein of that. People forget about that culture. It was big, big in Chippenham. That kind of Soul Boy thing, those Street Sounds compilation albums. It used to be like albums are like compilations of like the latest, like twelve inch American, like electro and soul stuff. They'd have like a picture of a a drawing of an American footballer or a big hot dog or the statue <laughs> living sort of like it's fucking american stuff but kind of like you know like it's american like it's black american but don't make a fucking big deal of that bit of it which we're trying to sell this to like white guys in places like swindon and that kind of thing but you'd always yeah. see like um guys in swindon like girls with those perms and blokes in like american football Wearing that, because that's kind of coming back now. You see a lot of like young, like sort of kids wearing like um like American sports merch, and that that was kind of like a feels like a bit of a throwback to when everyone had like you had to have like a Chicago Chicago Bears were big because of the Fridge Perry being a popular thing, and um, the Miami Dolphins was always if there was like a girl that was into American football, it'd be the be the like in keeping with like sort of stereotypes, I suppose the Dolphins because the the dolphins and, and that, but it was it was like a um but yeah the Weetabix did that. Then they were break dancers 
and then they just <laughs> fucked the whole thing off, and then they were just like generic, like this one's Indiana Jones themed. But yeah, the Weetabix Skinners, all that stuff goes for like big bucks on um on eBay. Now I've got some of it. I wouldn't sell it. I wouldn't sell it anywhere because I'd worry about some fucking American bonehead who would buy, <laughs> yeah. buy it. Because you get like some brilliant skinheads in America, but there's also, as I understand, a lot of uh, like right wing wine because you hang about with fucking proud boy hipster. They should they should fucking be like denounced just for fucking hanging out with in the first place, regardless yeah. of politics. Do you know what I mean? That but um that's the thing with skinheads you get like in um there are People, this is the thing. There's a myth that all skinheads are racist, but it's it's as big a myth saying that none of them are, as well, because a lot of them are. Even some of the ones aren't racist are conservative in other ways, as Mm. well. But so are punks as well. I know lots of old punks who are like walking fucking Daily Mail editorials, and I think it's just an age thing more than anything more than anything else. I think you become if you're not careful, you become a moaning old twat. In your old age, regardless of how cool you were to start off with, but um, yeah. but that yeah, that was the first that was the first exposure to skin as the Weetabix and uh, um, Tom Thug out of Oink comic, and like oh, Buster Tom Thug was like a comedian. He was he ended up in Buster. His Oink was the greatest comic of the eighties. It was kind of like the in between the Beano and Viz. There was Oink. And it was um, just the greatest comic ever. And he was in that. And then he got amalgamated into Buster or Wizard and Chips or something. But he was uh, like Tom Thug. And the whole thing was that he was a complete fucking idiot. He was most most likely a fucking not screwdriver combat four type of skinhead rather than, than like an Angelic Upstarts, Blagger's ITA sort yeah. of skinhead. But yeah, the, the thing is the sort of... The, I think skinheads are st- are stereotyped a lot. I think even the because um, I just think even the ones, even the right wing arsehole scumbags though they are, I think it's dangerous to misunderestimate them and just go these people are all up brainless arseholes. Some of them are, do you know what I mean? But some of them are, yeah. are not, and that's they're not, and they're not like scruffy and they're not thick, and that's why they're fucking dangerous. Do you know what I mean? So even some of those lot do the kind of. Thing is, as well with it, is I could never. This is the whole thing I'd be in a mod as well because I did have a mod face, um, like a lot of people. That's quite a popular one round here because Chipman was mod. Mod Chipman was like the lone mod town back in the 60s in um, North Wiltshire. So, like Trowbridge, Cowan, Melksham, like all around us was rockers and Grebos and Chippenham sort of stood alone as mods. I think that has shaped the mentality of Chippenham. Ever since, and the attitudes to counter that has always been this thing. I think that's why in Chippenham, there's not some of the independent businesses struggle more than they do in those other towns. Because I think in Chippenham, because of the mod thing. So here's the thing, right? That I kind of like. I've got a theory about mod and Thatcherism and that, and it's got. It's not a popular theory, but it's the things about some of the worst bits of mod is that it's very kind of like. It's like this is cool, and here's how much money you need to spend on it. On getting it's this, very consumerist getting, yeah. subculture. Yeah, it, it, here's the stuff that you need to be better than the bloke next to you. Like you need a better scooter than him, otherwise you're not as good as him. And then you get to they got to the point where, and I said this once, I think, and I got his this was like I said, when you watch Quadrophenia now, like post twenty sixteen, you watch Michael Alphick knocking Phil Daniels down. He punches him down the fucking stairs when he mm-hmm. comes in. He's like, oh, "I fought in a war for you." And you think, like, do you know what he did? 
his dad did go to war and fight Nazis and build the NHS and stuff. And his son's like, fuck you, I've got a Vespa. Like, fuck, fuck you, bullshit. I've got some stuff. I'm going to grow up and vote for Margaret Thatcher and have because I want a fucking better house. When I'm not a mod, I'm going to go, I want a better fucking house than the bloke yeah. next to me as as well. There's a sort it's just, there's something about, it's also tucking your shirt in. Fuck that. <laughs> mods and skit mods and skit. that's one of the best things with punk is that you don't have to tuck your shirt in not saying you should there's nothing wrong with tucking your shirt in but like the girth of me do you know what I mean wearing a, wearing a toy for fuck's sake as well that's why the mod revival was decimated by two time toys it was all kids that had just left school and they must have been like the great music of that. They must have been fuck putting a toy on again. Then it's like here's another thing where you don't have to you, you don't have to have a scooter. You just need like you can keep the shirt you've bought for being a mod. Fuck the toy off and the jacket and just get a hat and the the shoes are fine. It must have been like right, we're gonna fucking do this now. Plus like <laughs> the specials are better. I do like Secret Affair, but the specials and madness shit all over Secret Affair and Merton Parkers. Yeah, I do like the jam though. Everyone in Chippenham, the jam's like a again, like I know like the jam are great, but there's a lot of I know a lot of dickheads who like the jam are kind of like um, they're a bit sort of like Paul Weller's not a gammon, but he's he's got some gammony fans. It's not his fault though. No, well uh, the thing is, is that you can understand the lyrics in jam songs, and and when uh, you've got a song that starts off "Stuff up your beer and collect your fags." That's a very, very easy thing to latch onto in a, uh, oh, so, you know, that's quite a sort of a, a clarion call to uh, a certain type of uh, go out and have a good time kind of things. I guess. Oh, totally. I, I, I like, I love a lot of that sort of that sort of oh, thing, yeah. that sort of thing as well. I think it's like with the jam, it was because in early doors, I think Weller was kind of when he was very young. I think he was kind of flirting with the whole thing of like, what if I was what about a punk band that are like, actually, the Queen does a good job. I think you're. I think you're fine. <laughs> there's like bits of there's bits of that, and there's a bit of like early doors. There's a bit of like what of our empire and all of that. I think early. I think quite soon he was like, hang on, I shouldn't be fucking even like flirting with this because there's actual fucking Nazis now. Yeah, burning up. I, mean, I, I think some of that was probably due to the the affection that you had for the Kinks as well, because they do sort of British. Um, sort of British pride from a very sort of garden fate kind of perspective. It's yeah. sort of not really a empire or, or anything like that, mm. but you know, it's uh, that kind of thing. So I think there was, there was aspects of that to it as well. But it, I think Billy Bragg said of, um, of, of that era of music, he said, well, the thing is, is that we loved the who and the Rolling Stones, but we couldn't get to them. We couldn't be in a place where they were within mm-hmm. arm's reach, but everything we loved about the who the jam also did, but they were our age and we could talk to them at the bar afterwards. Everything we loved about the Rolling Stones, the Clash did, but we could talk to them at the bar afterwards and they were our age and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's like how it it's goes. The approachability anyway. is a big thing about punk. I used to go to gigs in Bristol and there'd be people from like Chaos UK, Screamer, those sort of bands hanging around. You could like Chaos UK, I bought their... Um, current album that they've been going since like the since about 77 78 i think but they had a morat again going back to him Kerrang was pushing the fuck out of their um 100 two fingers in the air album and i bought that and i went to the terrorvision gig with my i did quite like terrorvision but i was going because d tote and hosen 
were supporting. Oh, yeah. They apparently in Germany it was the other way round. Terev- in Europe, Terravision was supporting De Toten Hosen, and then in Britain <laughs> it was reversed because they were a the bigger band. But um, and Chaos out of Chaos UK was at the bar, and I was like, and I'd, he chatted to me, and like I sort of bought him a drink, and I was about sixteen at the time, and it was good. It was it was great just to be able to talk to someone like that that I'd bought a record by that I was like I was glued into my bloody Walkman. That was and that was yeah that was a big kind of that was a big kind of thing. It won't be first. Um, I think maybe that was my first. But the first punk gig I went to was um, my first gig is Iggy Iggy Pop. My dad took me and um, my mate Steve on my just before my fourteenth birthday, I think it was, to all the way up to Kentish Town Forum in London. And we got there, and the doormen were like, for like, fuck off. My dad was like, we come all the way from fucking Chippenham. They was like, right up, right up on the balcony at the fucking park, <laughs> and like, don't even go for a piss, just fucking sit there. And it's fucking, it was fucking tremendous. Um, it's quite a good and bad one to start off with because it's some quite, this is Iggy in like, in like sort of 92, 93, and it was, it was fucking quite a thing to see. But I think that was the first one that I went to. Like with my mates on, on our own, I went to I went to the uh, one of the last Ramones ones in Britain as well. The last but the last but one, and then me and my mate had tickets for the last ever Ramones gig in Britain. We were going to go with my dad, and then my dad, in a sudden fit of Chippenham racism, suddenly decided he didn't want to go to Brixton because we'd all be mugged. Um, uh, by what personally mugged by like Winston Silcott or whatever, he was like, Oh, it's dodgy round there. I was like, Fuck me, and it was like, So I've still got three intact tickets for the last ever UK Ramones gig that wow. are like wow. un, unlike ripped because that, like, because uh, yeah, my dad was like, Was like, I'm not fucking going, going there. I was like, I went to, I, I remember, we just, I took my Mum, me and my wife took my mum to see Trainer Park Boys at Brixton Academy, and I was like, "Here, I walk around with me with me dear old mum." And I was, like, I was like, "This is where my dad was like." Thing is, like nineties Chippenham, it's like there was a whole thing, and there was like Brixton. It was like it's a fucking war zone because loads of black people live there. Ergo, they'll be rioting constantly, and there'll be like mm. people throwing bricks at you. It's just what it's that's what it's fucking like Ranger. you have to really educate yourself into it so maybe it's not so bad now but like back then in times like this you really have to kind of if you mm-hmm. just like poodle along going by the perceived wisdom of like your parents and like other people around you you'd end up as a right fucking redneck because it was quite a quite there was a lot of like racism and um homophobia back then probably always um undoubtedly like um sort of of that kind of thinking till I got into punk was one of the things and grunge and um, someone else who gets a lot of stick now, but Ben Elton on the telly mm. um, was someone else who made me think differently about it. But I was in the, I was in the sea cadets. We were like, we were all like, um, we were all kind of like little um, fucking, I suppose little fucking Tories at the time. Do you know what I mean? We were like, not so much like, um, like fucking UKIP or whatever now, but we were all all political, but we were all kind of like the Queen's great, like the Argentinians and the French are all fucking wankers, like fuck the IRA, like fuck anyone that fucks with Britain and that kind of thing. We were kind of deeply sort of, so deeply sort of like a, um, there's a lot of homophobia. There was a lot of um, 
racism of the kind of like of the sort of there was a kid who was a black kid from Bristol and he was his nickname was Snowy and everyone thought that was fucking acceptable. Do you know what I mean? Sure, and it was yeah, fucking yeah. it would be the sort of thing like, oh, we can't be racist because Snowy here is our <laughs> is our friend and stuff. It's like this was one of the best things about punk and alternative music was it just kind of made me fucking um kick back about that and not just grow up with the exact same views as me dad bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. but it's we're kind of like like now we're like we I sort of like I've kind of recently reconnected with a lot of my mates from the from the cadets because we had some great times then and it was we all kind of like we sort of we're quite sort of philosophical. We do sort of go we don't go sort of like oh that was the good old days. We all sort of think we do sort of look back and go like fucking hell we had some fucking appalling views. Like these, yeah. like in those. I mean, a lot of the a lot of my mates of the connects are quite sort of royalist and not traditionalist and stuff. But they've when you see how they've moved on things like LGBT stuff and like racism and stuff, it's like mm-hmm. a tremendous like. It's like they're still not going to be. You're not going to be like seeing them down the front of a fucking Bob Villain gig anytime soon. But they're different <laughs> to what they were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. kind of like because they got they all got kids now. So people have kids that are. That are on the various kind of LGBT spectrums and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? You get um, older, but I think it's, I kind of felt like I got a little bit of a head. Not saying I'm better than other people, I got a little bit more of a head start with punk than, I mean, fucking Guns N' Roses. We all love Guns N' Roses. You can imagine how fucking like enlightened that made us. I mean, they had that song One in a Million, which I think has been like sort of consigned to the rightly to the dustbin of history but yeah. that was on the lies album and it was axel rose out i think screwdriver fucking covered it <laughs> one, well there you um, go it's so that was the that was what i got out of punk was just the main thing i think was i just didn't end up as a i just didn't end up i mean i'm, I'm an arsehole in some ways i'm fucking like like you can't say you i'm not a racist because you are even because you don't always realize you're being one do you know yeah. what I mean? But like, I try not to. I at least try my best not to be, uh, not to be a massive fucking arsehole. Well, that's I try not to be a fucking massive racist. But you kind of, but I'm, I'm white. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. all of that. But at least I'm not like you know. What I'm trying to say it kind of like maybe yeah. at least at least I knew it was a bad thing to be one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's um. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's the thing is that punk does sort of open up questions that you just don't ask if you grow up in a place like you've described Chippenham um, very, very uh, um, clearly as being one of those, you know, small town is the, it's used as a phrase for a reason, I guess. And punk rock can very much lots of music can but punk rock's really got it because a lot of people from small towns go we're the only four people in this town <laughs> that don't make us all want to be sick so can we you know and then that's and then that's a band all of a sudden these days it's a podcast unfortunately to the detriment of music and podcasting but speaking of which with this podcast about no effects can you remember the first time you heard no effects yeah it would be the punkorama the first one Ah, was, oh, okay. Was, that would be the first time because I'd heard of them. So that came out around about. So that was when there was the the sort of second, the not the second wave of punk, like the resurgence of punk. So like the nineties punk thing, mm-hmm. and that was going back yet again to Morat. He was. I remember he reviewed the Punkorama thing. He was having a bit of a moan, and he thought it was all shit, bar rancid and total chaos. 
and by yeah. religion, he was like, this is all fucking bollocks. Like, I've been fucking arrested for this shit and all of that. You can, with some, like, you can see how he felt that way. But um, I remember going, there was a place in uh, Swindon, down at the bottom of the old Brunel Centre, there was a record place that had metal records and rock stuff. And this guy had all the epitaph stuff on, like, yeah. a sort of box on his counter. And it was like, then it was sort of like, I got all this fucking newfangled American punk stuff. And he said, have you heard... He said, have you heard of no FX? I've not heard of no FX. I was more interested in rancid and um, total chaos because of the aesthetic of that, because total yeah. total chaos were like outright UK 82 and rancid were, I think I'd already at that point bought Let's Go from Replay and Bath used to have all of the punk American punk stuff on vinyl. They used to sell maximum rock and roll. And I bought mm. Let's Go on... It was my copy of Let's Go is two white ten inches rather than like a twelve incher. Huh. It's like a double. It was a double record. Um, still got it. I still play it. It's fucking brilliant. So the first No Effects thing anywhere it was Punkarama, which I think I bought for the guy in Swindon, and it was um, Don't Call Me White and Liza and Louise. Yeah, for that. And, oh, nice. And I, I, I liked them. I liked the Don't Call Me White thing. I don't know what it's. I've, I don't know what I was kind of like. The way I felt about the lyrics out of the time was because I was in, big into hip hop at that time as well, and there was a lot of kind of like, um, so there was, I was big into Ice Cube and the Lynch Mob and like Paris. I was in all for some reason I was in all the kind of like Nation of Islam affiliated kind of rappers. <laughs> I, was, I remember I saw my hip hop connection and the news agent. Um, Said to my mum, um, "Like, you, are you aware of what your son's buying here?" And I was like, "This is not. They all fucking hate white people and stuff." And my mum didn't give a shit. But um, I thought I was like listening. Don't call me what I was like. Oh yeah, you're quite right. Fucking having a go at me. I mean, of course, like, now I know. And I suppose probably Fat Mike knows. If unless I'm like misreading the song, it's kind of it's, it's not quite. It's a bit like don't like guilty being white by minor threat. It's the like this is like this reverse way. Sort of like yeah, it is. But if you think about it, but then. That was Ian McCoy as like a child, wasn't it? Essentially, yeah. and yeah. Um, Slayer covered it as like forty-five-year-old men, and they were and and yeah. it was like guilty of being right, right. I tell you, and you can imagine Ian McCoy like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, mm-hmm. like now I really wish I'd not. But um, as if yeah. that guy's not spent enough time with his head in his hands. Well, <laughs> very good, good. So, yeah. so there's that. So I like that. I thought it was interesting lyrics at the. Interesting lyrics at the at the time, and Liza and Louise I, I liked because I just I just thought it was I just thought it was fucking hot. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Blazing up and that I thought it was the, the motivation of the um, song was just like it's um, it's good. It was good. It's again queer representation in music, which had previously been so as far as that had gone. There was basically the the ironically the anti nowhere league. I presumed were bisexual at least because of all that stuff we did about sucking old men's cocks and stuff. I didn't realise they were like raging conservative yeah. homophobes from Tunbridge Wells yeah. from because I bought that like a lot of people I bought that album off the back of Metallica covering yeah. so what and the and being told that it had been like um re edited because of the um it's I still do quite like that album but I've always thought of I've they make me want to climb the fucking wall every time they come on my radar now. They, are, you know, they sort of they came back and I saw them live supported twice. I saw them supporting the Ramones. They were fucking great. This is the old lineup though. Before I think the problem seems to be when everyone fucked off. Bar that, um, the singer, Animal, 
animal who looks a lot like George Michael for a homophobe, I always think. <laughs> and you, they, this is the thing, they, they wear it like leather head to toe. They've got their logos of fist and they do all these things of these lyrics about like, um, about sort of, I thought like they, I thought like I thought that was part of the whole thing is that they're going sort of like this, I suck fucking men's cocks, fucking check this. It, it feels a bit Turbo Negro who I understand <laughs> are like majoritively gay. I think they have an album called Ass Cobra, you know, like yeah, yeah. head to toe in leather, like wearing like sail, like PVC sailor outfits. And like, I don't know, <laughs> feels the same sort of vibe. I love it when Turbo Negro are playing a festival because you can always spot their fans because they just dress like members of the band. They, they look <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure some of them could just wander backstage and people would assume, oh, they must be part of that band. No one's checking their, you know, <laughs> access all areas or anything. But yeah. Who was on me and me and Stu, um, Stuart McLaughlin and Paul B. Edwards were on a fucking bus full of them once in Norway. I've got, I think, going from Sweden to Norway. They, <laughs> I wasn't sat with them because I can't sit in the back of buses because I feel sick. But they were all sat in the back, and there was all these fucking um, Turban Negro fans with all the sailor hats and yeah stuff and stuff on. And there was um, they had a, the poster for the gig was uh, like it was a sailor Jerry pinup of a set of a woman in a sailor hat and a, and a pea coat with period blood going all the way down her legs and across the floor and I was like that's the Scandinavian fucking poster edition like, I can't see they're going to be like touring fucking Tennessee yeah. or that or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, uh, it's great but you're, you're right about the, the, the queer representation because especially with Liza and Louise that you know long before it gets to any of the actual sort of the actual sex it tells the story of a, a woman who has been treated horrifically by men. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. not just uh, like if that song was written by the Vandals, it would just be descriptions of of, of hardcore lesbian sex. Whereas uh, in this way, it's, it's actually a, a, a story that I imagine people recognize in themselves. Some people. God, the Vandals. I remember, I sort of remember... <laughs> I think I'd one, but I think I'd one of theirs. They kind of like they sort of started off. They're one of these where they started off like in the like in the old days of like Orange County punk, and then they came back mm. much later of like a vaguely one of them a judge or something like that, or a. Uh, I know what one of them's definitely. I, I think um, the bass player or one of the founder members is quite right wing, um, and the drummers just joined Foo Fighters. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, former yeah, Josh Freeze, um, who's left uh, Offspring with a, uh, a a replacement drummer for Slam Dunk because he got the uh, call from Foo Fighters and went, yeah, see you later, guys. Um, so yeah, but um, they um, they started off basically wanting to be the Toy Dolls. The the Vandals always considered ah. themselves to be basically an oi band because they were all massive fans of Toy Dolls, which is why all their songs are you know. Songs about having a mullet. You know, I've got an ape drape. It's just a song about <laughs> having a mullet, and it's just precisely what the toy dolls would have been like if they'd have grown up in, like you say, Orange County or you know, one what? of the less beachy areas of uh, California. What I love about the toy dolls is they go to like Japan and America singing songs about Hilda Ogden and like yeah. Jimmy Corkill and that kind of and about like blokes <laughs> they specifically know. Yeah, from the some yeah, of the songs are like. Yeah, some of their songs would seem to be specifically about things that have happened that you'd have to like be in their 
circle of friends to know what the fuck they were on about. I've seen them live once, the Toy Dolls. They were fucking brilliant. But, like the guy out of snuff playing drums with him, and it was proper yeah. like Olga's a fucking. He saw. I got my venting inhaler signed by him, which was like I was like <laughs> yeah, well, I got aspirin. Then by the time I got, it all come off by the time I got home because I put oh, it in a sweaty oh. pocket and it had all just like melted off of it. But I was like, ah, like yeah, no. things that should be on display that can never be. No, yeah. Currently, the lineup for the toy dolls is Olga, uh, Tom from Goober Patrol on base yeah, yeah. Uh, Tommy Goober and uh, yeah Duncan from Snuff remember it's Goober like... Patrol playing in Bath I think I might have seen him in Bath back in the 90s maybe Goober Patrol Hat and Feather or Porter Butt or somewhere like that absolutely where you'd have seen them yeah because they were one of the few uh, they were signed to Fat but they were a, a British band so Will do you have a favourite No Effects song I reckon probably it's a tie between um, this is the whole kind of like skinhead oi culture thing, the the bruise or Bob, I think. Oh, nice. Good choice. Also between those two, because um, the bruise is great. I think that's a br- I think that's just a brilliant. I know it's a parody oi song, but I think it's a brilliant oi song, yeah. and it's um, I just it's possible a favourite, but I do like Bob just because of the. It's a great song. I like the kind of um, the sort of skinhead parody of it and and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say The Bruise, though, because that's a genuinely great, um, great song. The Rancid cover of it's brilliant as well on that, yes. on that split. But that's those are good. And also, um, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to go with The Bruise, actually. Bob a close second, but I think they do. Um, no effects do all well, I think, even when it's like lampooning it. Yeah. yeah, well, I think uh, I th- it is it is uh, a genre that Mike genuinely does like, sort of, you know, hardcore um, oi are the sort of the, his two favourite, from from what I understand and stuff. So that's the thing. If it was just a straight-up sort of parody, I don't think it would have anywhere near the longevity yeah. that it does. You know, those sort of, you know, I, for me anyway. But yeah, no, The Bruise is is just fantastic i i really really like that one too and, and it's you know like such a staple of their live sets as well mm. it's yeah it's uh it's it's a really strange one as well because the guitars sound really weird on the on the uh, album version just got a really strange sort of anyway but yes that's uh that's a a, a cracking uh cracking choice there and bob as well which um yeah we uh red and i were, were confused because we saw them at leeds the other day uh, in their last Leeds gig, um, just before their last UK gig ever, and they didn't play Bob. Um, we were surprised because right. we thought that would be an always uh, an always player, but they are doing the whole of white. They did the whole of white trash at Hatfield, so maybe they uh, were trying to mix it up for the people who had tickets to both. But uh, not to worry. So, um, do you have a favourite NoFX album? So. Studio um, White Trash. That was the first one I bought. I bought that again from Replay Records on vinyl mm-hmm. um, in about '94 or something like that. And that was I really enjoyed that. I think that's my favourite. But really, the one that I played most and the one that I this what I go to now. FX album is I heard they suck life. Amazing, nice. It's got it's got my preferred versions of several songs on it. Any of yes. the. Oh. Any of the pre-White uh, Trash songs, I prefer the live versions over the uh, recorded versions, definitely. Yeah. 
especially the versions of beer, the beer bong. Yeah. Um, the version oh, of the yeah. brews as well, I think, is the best version of the brews. And yeah. it's just it's just great. There's a lot of um it's when I first heard it, it was I was kind of like I was kind of like stop fucking about and like play the songs, but that kind of like it wouldn't feel it wouldn't feel right now without that. But it's it's great. It's like it's the it's uh, I know they've done a greatest hits album, but I think to me that's like a or like a bet like you say best off the pre like punk and drug the pre punk and drublick stuff. Yeah. That's just yeah. uh, if I'm gonna if I feel like I think I'm gonna put no effects on that'll be the one that I bung on. The other live one I like as well that I heard they still suck live. Yeah, I think it's good yeah. as well. Yeah, I think um, I think the as good as their ability to record themselves and sound fantastic, the way they are live is is they've yet to capture it on anything other than an actual full live recording. Did you ever hear the uh, live version of Ribs that they did? Yeah, I did. Um, it was that was interesting. I thought with the um, I've always been kind of. Um, sort of interested with Mike seems to have like a love-hate thing with ska music, which I love. It's like one of my, yeah. it's like my, probably my favourite, it's possibly my favourite music, ska, even in terms of music, even more so than punk, hmm. because, uh, but not but not so much, um, do you know what I mean? Punk's always going to be more to me because as an entity, but like musically, hmm. ska. But um, Mike's obviously, but it's interesting to hear him say that he liked it when he did Operation Ivy, and then he clearly has gone off of it at some yeah. At some point later down the line, which is like fine, but it was nice to have that kind of clarified because I remember yeah. them doing um, that. So you don't do scar anymore because it sucks. I was like, well, you clearly liked it at one point because you've done some like good scar. But they still do though, don't they? On the like, the more the more recent albums, there's been right. They've just done a thing with Fishbone, haven't they? You were one of the yeah, yeah. like greatest scar bands. Yeah, yeah, they uh, yeah. I, I well, he signed. Sorry. He signed. Oh, sorry, Red, carry on. No, I was just going to say, like, I think it's quite similar to what you were saying about their their oi songs in like, you know, they they do these songs in different genres. And whilst it might seem like uh, a pastiche at times and a parody at times, there is still like an undeniable uh, respect for the genre that yeah. they're sort of playing around with. I, th- I think also Mike is a gobshite and therefore <laughs> will say stuff because he's bored or fancies of having a laugh and that kind of thing. But he, um, yeah, he said, yeah, Operation Ivy was um, what made him go, oh, wow, that's interesting. And so I think um, he's probably not, you know, he probably doesn't have a lot of real big fish records, but something a bit more. Sorry, we we had Robin Leach from um, Random Hand on uh, the podcast, and he was... uh, talking about um when random hand made a uh, made a vocal decision amongst themselves that we were a minor key ska band <laughs> we, don't, we don't write songs in a major key and um and i think that might you know i think fat mike is a minor key ska fan is uh, is the easiest way to describe it the american american ska's got a funny sort of pedigree because i think a lot of american people associate of like real i do actually like real big fish but they're kind of more of a pop more of a pop punk band with trumpets rather than a scar yeah. band speaks it's very much on beat it's kind of like marching band music rather than like scar music it goes like pump 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 like that rather than like like scar yeah, music. Yeah. it's not as like it's more moshy than dancey but that operation ivy album is a fucking 
Belter. That's another one that I bought. Yeah. I bought it from Replay on CD, and I wish I'd bought the vinyl. The amount of vinyl I wish I'd fucking bought from <laughs> Replay back then. I should have bought Operation Ivy on um, Energy on vinyl. Mm-hmm. I bought the CD in the end. But there's there was a lot of um, they used to, they had loads and loads of like um, Epitaph and Fat Rec stuff. Like just sort of looking back now, I think like Cross. I wish I'd fucking bought it all on that rather than on cassette now. Because I didn't realise I'd be playing vinyl all day in a barber shop back then. I just would like <laughs> to have had more than, but that's I still play that rancid one even now, and that's like, um, yeah, fucking tremendous album. Tim Armstrong's a fuck on his day is a fucking genius. I think. Yeah. Have you heard the new uh, Rancid have just released like three new songs from their upcoming album, and it 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 sounds vintage. It's They're quite good, I think. I, I, I was really like, impressed. Uh, yeah, I like the Tomorrow Never Comes one. I think it's good. I think it's yeah. good. There's always something I like on their records, but those like for those yeah. first lot, especially Outcome the Wolves, fucking hell, that's still yeah, yeah top five all time punk. I think like of anyone's got to be yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah, Outcome the Wolves is is just lightning in a bottle. Really, it's a, it's a fantastic bit of work. But yeah, so I think that's where um, yeah, because and then um, uh, Paul Smith from the uh, uh, New Cross Inn uh, venue in London said, uh, loves no effects to his favourite band. He said, yeah, I don't go to them for Scar. I don't consider them a Scar band. So, you know, just goes to show no pleasing everyone. <laughs> Do you have a favourite no effects lyric, Will? That's an interesting one. So... I'll talk about favourite. Like, I'll tell you one that stuck with that I thought was, like, really really like witty when I was 16 was that um ugly eyes thing the Bo Derek Bo Diddy <laughs> thing yeah, I remember yeah, me, yeah. And my, me and my mate it wasn't even really into now FX used to like that that became like a bit of a thing you know, a sort of small social circle because like we didn't know anything about um I didn't know how awesome Bo Diddley was as a um, musician back there I was only vaguely aware of him but I knew that it was like they presumably talking about like an age, aging like Afro-American like R&B musician of some of some mm. kind and like that was really funny I'm trying to think of like uh, there are some good some good, some really great ones in the going back to the brooms again there's some really great ones in that that I'd imagine I'm not Jewish but I'd, that I can imagine if you were it make you feel properly like going around and kicking some fucking anti-Semites about yeah, we, we had on the uh, the it's keyboardist from uh, No Effects, who's uh, uh, who, you know um, Jewish herself, and she yeah. cites that as being like one of her like favorite songs because like it, you know, really easy to sort of like get geared up by it. Like it's uh, I don't know, like it it sounds you know I, I, I you know I wish I had that experience with the song because it it does sound like it really. Um, gives it another dimension. Oh, sorry. There's, there's always been Jewish skinheads as well, right from the yeah. right from the start, because it's an East, it's, it's like an East East End London phenomenon. Mm-hmm. They're always they're always as as been, and in America and New York and that as well. So it's just good that, and it's not a an oi band that have done it, but it's just good that there's like kind of a sort there's kind of like a song for them, and like the sort of more I talk about it, the more I keep saying it's a parody thing. Maybe it's not. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it is a maybe yeah. it's like a Thinking about the actual lyrics seems more sort of sin, more sincere, but there's some some great ones in that. But yeah, the the Bo Diddley thing, and there's um, the other one. Um, 
I do quite like, even though I sort of like feel differently about the lyrics of Don't Call Me White, there's some good ones in that as well. Mm-hmm. So lots of, I can't suppose think of individual lyrics, but sort of like songs where I think the lyrics are good on. I mean, I don't, yeah. I think like, like at, it's still like a, it's a, he's a good writer, Fat Mike, of sort of lyrics. He's good um, at doing humorous lyrics like being an eight-rock comedy band, like you say, like the Vandals and that. You yeah. kind of stop short of that. Um, the song about um, the lazy transvestite songs, uh, good, <laughs> yeah. a good one as well, just by the kind of like, which I relate to as not as a, I don't really sort of consider myself a transvestite. I sort of used to a bit before, like sort of like several years and different vocabulary ago. But I relate, yeah. I relate to the whole thing of just wanting to wear comfortable clothes a lot of the a lot of the time, and not and just like not not wearing things you can't be asked to wear them. So yeah, much yeah. like yeah. I've got to relate to that quite a, that quite a bit. So that's that's a good one as well. I like his little bits of backstory in it about. Um, the rock, talking about like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and like, old films and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And yes, I'd say out of those, it's out of those out of those three. I guess I wish I could think of like an individual line, but I suppose the but the Bo Derek Bo Diddley one is still quite. It is quite. Um, it's like meaningless, but actually quite. I don't know what it is about that. It's quite yeah. For old think, time's sake. Well, I think the uh, the. Uh, because that's the first full length with El Jefe on it. I think it, Mike was uh, really enjoying having someone who could sing the song in the style that he'd written it. Because <laughs> he's, you know, got, yeah. oh boy, oh my, da, da, da. you know, that all, all of that kind of stuff going on. And he's like, wow, we can do all of these kind of things now. And he calmed down by the time they got to Punk and Drublick. But um, <laughs> he's got that. He's got um, the, uh, the sort of the cholo accent in uh, Johnny Appleseed. And um, there's another one as well. Is there a? Oh, it's the the jazz guy on the cover of um, Straight Edge. So there's like oh, three... I, lo- I love that. For yeah, that, it's that version of it. <laughs> I fucking love mine. I love minor threat. It's just just anyway. That's yeah. Uh... yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, that's uh, that's a fun one. Let's uh, okay. Do you have a favourite memory of No Effects? I'm going to say as a total cop out, it's going to be just like fucking about with my mates and singing that Bo Derek, Bo Diddley, Bugly Ice <laughs> thing and making each other laugh with it. It's like I never saw No Effects live. Um, if you said to me, like, what is my, if you said to me, like, what is my, I, I'm terrible at getting to see things live because I live in the sticks and don't drive. Right. Um, but, and I was on the circuit for ages and I just didn't feel like, I just never, I've been, I've never been good at, like I went to see the chats last Tuesday in Bristol and they were fucking amazing. But that was the first like proper gig I've been to for about oh, across about seven years, I think. But I know we went to Bad Manners actually a few weeks before before that. But um I'd say memory of now probably just walking around. They'll if you said to me like what was like if they all got like exploded or something now, I'd probably like go, well, it was probably gonna be buying um Buying white trash on vinyl. I remember that. I remember um, walking around listening to "They Suck Live" a lot on my headphones and that. I suppose that would be the enduring memory. Would just be that was a yeah. soundtrack to a lot of like walking around and um, between pubs and like sort of teenage sort of punk life and stuff with that in me pocket and stuff. So I suppose yeah, that would be it'd be just things like that, just things that is sort of soundtracked a bit. Yeah. I suppose. Um, 
I just, like obviously I won't, I won't get to see him live now because they they've they've they have properly finished up now, haven't they? They yep. finished their UK dates. Yeah, so it's like how many dates left? Maybe like halfway well, through the tour. They said they said that they are finishing in something like October 2024 will be the last date. I think they're doing a Los Angeles super farewell show of part of the 40, 40 cities, 40 songs, 40 shows um, thing for their 40 years. They said that they might do Dublin, which is the closest they're going to do to mainland UK. But outside of that, the Leeds and Hatfield that they just had, that's it. But, you know, who knows? They, I think in, in the, in the mid-90s, uh, they vowed to never play Scotland again after a, uh, a particularly <laughs> uh, poor reception they got at a gig. I'm, I'm suspecting Glasgow because that city's got form on uh, treating, uh, treating performers um, <laughs> roughly, but uh, I couldn't say for sure, yeah. So yeah, I never, I never will see him now unless they, I'm, I'm sure that the members will have other musical endeavours that might yeah. come round here at some point. And... Yes, that would be nice. It would be interesting to see, though, because they're all, you know, they're all edging towards 60 at the moment. So, but, you know, stranger things have happened. I mean, I'm saying this, we live in a world where the Rolling Stones exist. So, you know. Well, never I, I never thought I'd see the Pistols, mate, but I did. It, like, yeah. it ended up in seeing the 90s reunion. Do you know what? It was great. This is the thing. It was like, it It was, it should have been shit, really, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was really fucking, it was, I saw the Phoenix Festival one, not the Finsbury Park one, but it oh. was, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fucking started off with bodies like right the way down. It was I was right down the front. It was fucking magic, like naff that they'd done it, but yeah, in magic, mate, as well as well. Fucking That's absolutely, wild. absolute belter time. But um, yeah, nothing remotely cool or innovative about it. Total cash. But the thing is, they make no bones about about yeah. that. You can't you can't call Steve Jones a sellout because his whole thing has been purely motivated <laughs> by shagging and fucking premium continental lager right yeah. from the start so yeah, yeah never, exactly. never never say never no was no bands ever properly no 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 that's true i uh i don't know i mean mike is threatening to get into stand-up so uh you never know oh, god yeah no. really yeah uh, i mean hey i love mike and i think mike's very funny but i yeah. do not think he should do that <laughs> i i get the feeling that Melvin and Hefe do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to the stage humour. Um, so uh, doing it without someone there to uh, to bounce off of, I don't know. I don't know, but obviously I will definitely try and watch every second of it that I can get access to because I am absolutely fascinated slash horrified with the idea. But... You'll, you'll hear about it before you see it. You'll be on <laughs> yeah. something or another that will be, you'll see it on fucking... Like yeah. on Twitter, go what the fuck's he just said? That yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, purple turtle for, for on a Monday or yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when he comes to do Verve in Leeds first, you know, every Tuesday, <laughs> I'll. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, cool. Um, what would you recommend? Uh, the best way for a non-fan to get into No Effects, if there is such a way. Yeah. I'd say if you don't like them, you're not gonna like them. <laughs> but I'd say probably the hmm, 
see realistically and i'm trying to think of like a cooler answer than going go on spotify and like the top five that come up under <laughs> it have a yeah. listen to those if you don't like any of those you're probably not going to like them i'd say probably that um what what i got from like thinking this was all right thinking this is good was the um yet again i think i heard they suck life i think probably that might be a good as good a place as any yeah. to start with it because that was yeah. kind of all that was when that was the thing i thought like a couple of good compilation tracks thought white trust that's a good album but that was like this is a great album so i think probably that's as good an introduction as anything to it and yeah i'd say i'd say that really even more so than the great than the um greatest songs ever written by us one because i just think yeah. some of those versions are better and just the energy of it yeah, and that I think it kind of encapsulates what they what they do, and I'll say after that, listen to they still suck, or they still suck life, and then mm-hmm, I'm yeah. gonna have a dig into the albums, I suppose, after the it's, studio ones. But yeah, I think start with a live album. It's it's a great it's a great answer because you've got the blend of um, their music and their personalities because they are yeah sort of. I mean, we would something we came to sort of round to the realization series. You know, they they're not Mike Baquette, Aaron Alberta. They they are Fat Mike, El Jefe, Melvin, and Smelly. They are essentially characters. <laughs> like I don't think they're putting anything on as such, but they've turned themselves into these sort of onstage versions of themselves that are very very similar. But as you know being a performer there are little bits you change about yourself you little you know tweak the eq a little bit just to make everything work a bit more smoothly mm-hmm. and i think knowing where these songs are coming from and what sort of personalities have contributed to them is is a great great suggestion also you get you might get into rudimentary penoy through that as well because there's a rudimentary <laughs> cover or like a half of one yeah. Like one, it was another yeah. uh, a fucking brilliant as well. Rudimentary Pinot, best, best that one of the best of those. It took me a while. I found Anarcho Punk quite hard work to start off with, mm. but um, that was that and Zangs are mm. like the are great ones. And that's the thing is, it's been that's been the big thing in chipping them is the punks that you get a lot of the punks who are more like have sort of long hair and do a lot of shrooms and stuff. They're kind of the thing is, it's chipping them, even the skinheads listen to fucking Pink Floyd and smoke <laughs> drugs around here. It's the countryside. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's a fucking strange, strange place around here. <laughs> it's, uh, yes, I think it took me it took me many, many attempts to actually get through a whole Amoebix record. And um, and, I, and it's still not one I go rushing back to, but I'm, I'm glad I persevered with it because I sort of... that I, I knew someone at university who was obsessed with every different type of subgenre sort of insisting i couldn't just refer to social distortion as punk they i know no, they're cow punk is that even a thing really no no, no they are don't don't it's like oh, for God's is sake. that a royce the out the amoebics album uh yes very yes. i mean yes it's got some super slow numbers on it as well like quite sludgy and my mate my mate olag who drinks in my local who's an old chipping and punk who 
I can't remember what it's called. Oh, like I got, a th- I think it's after that meerkat off the advert, possibly. <laughs> but he's he's like a proper old school chip and pub. But every he works on the motorways, and that's what he puts on in the van every morning. Apparently, is that the, the axe man is coming? Chunk 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 chunk. Oh chunk. yeah, yeah. yeah. Water! when he's out <laughs> on the out to go to put cones down and stuff. It's like your hot <laughs> lips of the cones. We always, always think of Olag with Amoebix. That's one of his favourite records. He, Olag's a fucking... He's a good, he's a good fella. Old Chipman Pub. Just the other just the other week, he slung a couple of fucking racists out the fucking pub that were acting the fucking twat. He's fucking... He's <laughs> fucking proper. I remember him saying to me once, he was going to... He's like, I'm going to put... I was thinking about renting out the barn and not booking a white power gig and then just fucking like kicking the shit out of anyone who comes. <laughs> There'll be no white power gig because we can fucking like... Just a honey trap of violence. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, a screwdriver reunion with like guest vocalists from Brutal Attack and such, like a like, <laughs> bunch of guys from Class War in there waiting for you. Oh, I'll tell you what, did you, are you, did you know that uh, Dave Mallow, the drummer from Operation Ivy, is in a cover band called Jew Driver? Who yes, cover, I've heard of Jew Driver, yeah. They, they cover, uh, yeah, screwdriver songs, but make them uh, pro Jewish. There's one called Pink, Pink Panzer is another one where it's sort of um, screwdriver songs. The guy does like a spot on Ian Stewart, but all the songs are about how much he likes taking it up the arse and stuff. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, and if he just knew how to drive, he'd still be here to uh, defend himself. But he's not. Shame. Oh, well. Um, cool. Uh, that car is a hero. <laughs> apparently, we were... Um, we're talking to the uh, guys from the Midlife Punk podcast, and uh, Tom Sidwell said that he lives very close to the tree that um, he ploughed into, and every year people go and thank the tree. <laughs> I met a skinhead in Nottingham once, and I, uh, like a red action skinhead, he was telling me about like desecrating the memorials or whatever at the. Uh, every time they put them up, he's like, "We fucking go down there and fucking, and fucking have it and that." But he's, um, nice. yeah, that fucking, yeah, the tree, like the tree, the gear stick ought to be like in the punk yeah. museum. That's <laughs> probably classed as evidence right now. But yeah, that should, yeah, Fat Mike yeah. should have that. That would be it because I think he said that you know we're not having screwdriver in there, but I reckon that gear stick or a cutting from the tree. Maybe they could ship a branch over and just have it in there. They've got Joe Strummer's last bag of weed, so, you know, vegetation already uh, has a place there. You could have Ian Stewart's collection. You could suppose a lot of people who, like, I know people who've, like, who are, like, sort of reformed, like, kind of reformed characters who kind of vaguely knew and apparently had, like, a big collection of fucking Motown records and stuff. So they could put that in a punk rock museum. Of course he like fucking a, did. There's a lot of, you hear a lot of talk that he was, like, a massive fucking chill and he was just by the end he was just doing it for the fucking money it makes it worse in some ways doesn't it yeah. yeah it really does oh good god right we uh we've got two questions left um uh so what do you think is no effects legacy what does that look like i would say probably it would be several things so I would say a gateway band for a lot of people, um, possibly people who had like got in, who weren't into punk for for people who their first exposure to punk was like um, Offspring or Green Day, that might have taken them a bit further down into the kind of fringes, into the fringes of 
of punk, so a good gateway band. Yeah. Pop um anyone I think anyone who does an in does a good indie label has got has built a legacy for themselves, no matter how big or small it is. Yeah. Most important legacy. So doing Fat Wreck was um was a good thing. I think um having the queer representation and the sort of honest, even that it's like I think one of the things because it's been like an ongoing thing with Fat Mike, which I can relate to, being a middle-aged um, queer person who didn't relate, didn't identify as a queer person for a long time, I can sort of relate to the kind of journey mm-hmm. he's been on yep. with the cross dressing and that and that kind of thing, and he's and it's been. Um, not something that he's had a straightforward handle on that he seems to sort of like be trying to figure himself out sometimes, sometimes with mm-hmm. it. Do you know what I mean? What he's, um, I relate. So I think that's good to have good um, middle-aged queer representation in punk. Yeah, and absolutely. Also, um, anyone who makes um, knickers for men has got to be um, <laughs> lauded. For that, it's got it's got the slogan. How not? It's something like really piss your dad off and body things <laughs> or something like that. That's like that's. Um, I think it's. I think a lot of it is just the kind of a gateway into DIY culture and punk culture for people, and um, getting snuff back together. I think, as I understand, was the case. Yeah. That he got, which was like could be a legacy to self snuffer, really brilliant, underrated group and just i think just general for a lot of services to punk rock i think it would be the you'd get have to give um particularly fat mike is like gold watch or whatever for <laughs> long service to punk rock. it's been a lot it's, it's the thing is he's he's been a he's been a doer the whole band after him in particular he's done stuff he's always doing stuff not just no effects he's done he did that musical and he's yeah. run a label and a lingerie for men company and stuff he's always doing stuff he's generally he said some um he's like you say he's had his moments of like dickery but his heart's generally been in the right place throughout i think and he's yeah. been a character mm-hmm. he's one of he's one of your one of your punk icons i think now he's in your kind of like your sort of Charlie Harper and kind of Steve Jones sort of like Malcolm out of the rust. So he's in he's in your sort of top tier punk icons now. So I think he can, with his head held high, retire now. And he'll think he'll be doing some. He'll be doing loads of other stuff because he's not going to sit on his ass doing nothing. Is he? He's a, he's a bit like a sort of pissed Henry Rollins in that sense. He's always kind of doing. He's always doing stuff. So yeah, that's yeah, those two don't get on. Yeah. <laughs> No, I can fucking well, well imagine. I remember I met Rollins twice. He was lovely the first or the second time. I think I annoyed the fuck out of him, unintentionally. <laughs> but I remember being in a, a Denmark airport um, when I was about 19. And I was backpacking and I was sat in these, there was these like, smoking booths. I was sat in there with um, Motorhead, as it turned out, and I was talking to, um, I'd met Lemmy, which was awesome. But then he's um, there, Rhodey come up and told him they were sharing a, green room with the Rollins band and Levy's reaction was like what the fuck he goes I'm like I'm like do you not get on with him and he goes he's a, he's a fucking studio geek fucking Henry, <laughs> Henry Rollins like studio geek <laughs> studio geek he was like so yeah but that was quite Rollins is basically right I think but he's just like a bit I was kind of like um I, I think I just kind of um was a bit kind of like because I met him and chatted to him before, and I was sort of, sort of like, "You're right, Henry. How you doing, <laughs> Henry?" And like, um, 
like yeah, he's uh, he was more kind of like um, sort of like thought like oh fucking grumpy Rollins, like do you know what I mean? It was like not kind of like in a pissed off or intimidated way, sort of like oh, someone's fucking got out the wrong side. It's basically I've seen, I've given him a DVD, taking it. I've seen him like a year later, I was walking down Prince's Street by Primark, and there he is. I'm like, all right, Henry's like, all right, and sort of like oh, he goes up before he's like, oh yeah, I got, I got another DVD here, and he's like, like because. On my way from the gym, and I'm like, sort of sorry, mate. I've never seen you when you've not been like wearing shorts with sweat pissing out. If you like, I feel like a bit of a knob now. And he goes, "It's cool." And then he was off, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" Upset, <laughs> yeah. fucking Henry Rollins. He was fucking lovely. The thing is, he's not. He's a. You could buy just buy any, even with anyone with the vaguest knowledge of him. You know that he's not going to be like fucking. It's not going to be like meeting fucking. Do you know what I mean? He's he is what he is. He's a yeah, yeah. cantankerous, stroppy little fucker. That's what makes him makes him great. It's good to see two sides of him. Actually, if I meet him a third time, that will be the charm. That will be, <laughs> be the decider, the side of it. But he's kind of. I think they're very similar, even if they don't like each other. I think he's quite similar yeah. to yeah. Rollins in a lot of I ways. Think that's possibly why they rub each other up the wrong way a little bit. It might it might be because they recognise a little bit more of themselves in one another than they'd ideally want to. Could well be, a, but he's he's he's, he's up there as a as a service so I just say general services to mm. as a good punk band, but in particular in the case of Fat Mike, I'd say services to punk rock yeah. be the legacy and he'll be he'll be um remembered for a long, long old time. I don't think again, I don't think he's done yet i think he's got a few like um especially if he's gonna do stand-up you'll be fucking like yeah there'll be some shit's gonna come that won't be uneventful no it won't i think he's got almost a sort of a stan lee kind of standing in it in that he's sort of this Mm. ambassador for a thing that people are used to in a way because you know stan lee was always talking about how brilliant actual comic books are but it is you know but more people were going to see the films or you know especially these days than were ever picking up the books but you know a lot of people know about spider-man because he wouldn't shut up about it and you know the punk rock museum thing is sort of fat mike's marvel comics maybe i'm stretching an analogy to it's quite a good analogy it's that thing of like like you say stanley was always like these comics are fucking brilliant and all the others are fucking shit what the fuck <laughs> are you reading dc for got the fucking i'll put the fucking hulk in it and a guest appearance like yeah of course yeah, yeah. he was always selling it wasn't he stanley it was yeah. like a market it was like del boy the comics artist he's like yeah He's like, right, here we go. What are we going to have? Fucking have Daredevil here. We'll put fucking the Fantastic Four coming to this. This. Yeah. He's like, right, you sold it to me, Stan. But he's kind of like, you say he's kind of like that with, like that with, with punk. He's a, he's yeah, a, um, he is very like that. He clearly likes punk. It's not just a. He's not one of the, they're not one of these bands where they just sort of like, right, here's another fucking tour for like the ejected or whatever. Let's get the fucking biker jackets out with the garage and. Yeah. Get up there and sing I Hate School at the age of like 52 and they're like right, that's it, rebellion, they're like right that's it back into our coffin for a bit and taking the kids to Ikea do you know what I mean, he still he yeah, still yeah. properly loves punk and lives like a punk and also he's, he's someone in there, it's someone in there in their like late middle age dying their hair and usually if I if I sometimes when I think like oh, I can't be I'm like 45 I shouldn't be, I think well he, I think, well, he fucking still 
dyes his hair blue and he's fucking older than I am. It's still a fucking there's still an element of that. Do you know what I mean? It's like when yeah. he doesn't give a give a fuck. Why should I give a fuck? Do you know what I mean? It's because yeah. a, a funny thing when he gets your forties, being a punk's a weird age because you worry about becoming like the blokes at the with the golf signs and that in Camden, like your kind of postcard. <laughs> Age yeah. that you used to scoff at when you were younger, and you think like I'm becoming like a old block. I went to went to see the chats. So someone I cut there. I said they've been to the chats. So like, oh, there's a lot of old school punks there as well. So I could be like old punks. I thought like he means people of my age. <laughs> He's talking like, about me. These people in their forties, like me, as in like old school, <laughs> like your teenage, or like sixteen when fucking Dookie come out, yeah. like old school punks, rather than like thirteen when. The first Clash album come out, punks. I'm an old, I'm an old punk. I'm ten years older than all the old punks I used to knock about when I was sixteen. Now I've become yeah. one of them. There ain't fucking many. There's a lot of there's a lot of them still going to be fair. There's Chipnam's oldest punk band just did a have just reformed. They were from they're called Radiation Sickness. They formed in '77, and they supported like the Cure and the Damned when they played in Chippenham, and they supported the Clash at the Town Hall and stuff. They've just re they just reformed. They're all pushing. 70 i think but they're cool they're doing fucking they're doing fucking tremendously they're about to um record some of that or do their actual proper album after <laughs> well it's longer than like 46 years or something so amazing yeah wow. so you never you you're never too fucking it, it's in you i think yeah yeah it's Definitely. there or not that's uh that's wonderful we've come to the final question well um and it's always an interesting one. Who's your favourite member of No Effects? Um, boring answer, but I'm going to have to say Fat Mike for all the reasons I just sure. I just said. Really, I'm going to have to say that because of his like extracurricular activities. Mm. I think they're a great. I think they're all great musicians. They got a very. They're a very tight band, even though they're sort of self deprecating yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly tight, and um, but Fat Mike is a. Um, He's a great figure in punk. The fact that he sometimes comes off as a bit of a dick is quite a part of it. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the greatest yeah. punks do, um, in many ways. So I think, yeah, he's definitely because he is. He's not. He's not the band. They're a band. Do you know what I mean? It's not Fat Mike plus a backing band, but he, yeah. he is the face of the band in some ways. But yeah. he's also like the face of that kind. He's the face. The face of punk. It's just he is bigger than the band in that regard. Just because of all the stuff that he does, so like, yeah, definitely him with with honourable mentions for like good musicianship. Always, well, Hefe as well. You got a hmm. you got a like as well for the like the the kind of like the sort of loungy sort of croonery bits and stuff like the straight edge yes. cover and all of and all of that is all yeah is all is all great as well. But like, yeah, but I think Fat Mike is got his without doubt. He's who you immediately think of. Yeah, it's true. Yes, you're you're only the second person to select Mike, um, but uh, you know that's uh, that's how it is. I think he is divisive because I think some people are less forgiving about the things that you can rightly criticize him for. Yeah. But you know, but again, that's that's how it is. But also, it, it's interesting because he says this stuff and then everyone reports it. So you know, you wouldn't know that he said it if people weren't you know. Oh, there's undoubtedly stuff that he's stuff that he said that I'm not like that I'm not aware of. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's stuck. But it's like, not to dig too deep sometimes. <laughs> oh god, that's the thing. It's like the 
when I think about like the, I remember the the Queers. Remember them being like a band that yeah. were like all over replay records, like big and maximum rock and roll. And he said like some like anti BLM stuff, didn't he? The bloke out of the bloke out of that, and it was sort of like fuck. Me, I thought they, I thought they were. I think I've read a thing where he said he was anti gay. Like, you're in a band called the fucking Queers. You're fucking hell, yeah. and you're fucking like. <laughs> Uh, put us the interviews are like the fucking they're the minefield of punk, isn't they? That's where you can, yeah. where you can look properly. Oh, come a cropper on that one. Well, like Ben yeah. Weasel as well is um, that kind of thing. There's something about that kind of uh, lookout record style um, sort of pop punk. They call it Ramones Core now. It was originally called pop punk, and then everyone started using that to describe. Um, anything that was catchy and on the radio. <laughs> so they had to rebrand as Ramones Core, which, if anything, is a slightly better descriptor. But, yeah. So, ben um, Weasel not been like... I think even back in the in the early to mid-90s, I remember reading people moaning about him in Maximum yeah. Rock and Roll and that. I think he's been a constant, like... Um, um, he's got a, a, rapid, a, a rapid... I've heard talk of knobby behaviour. Yeah, best. yeah. No, he's... It, I think it started out being outspoken and then uh, outspokenness didn't cut it. So he started, uh, yeah, behaving like a jerk a lot of the time. But, yeah, no. Again, I don't know what he's done, but I fucking, like... I think, yeah. No, it's weird because I think uh, there's a Screeching Weasel song that Fat Mike sings on, like a little guest appearance. And then they had a sort of a big public falling out about something. Well, what is other band on, Fat, on Honest John's? The Honest Don's, sorry, the Riverdales. Yeah, very possibly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the period when he was uh, asking Mike to uh, guest on uh, Weasel. But yeah, I don't know. People people change, and not always for the better, I guess. But um, anyway, thank you ever so much, Will. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's, oh, yeah. it's been really good, really good to, to be on it. Oh, I'm really, really I'm pleased. pleased. I, love, I love talking about punk. There's not a lot of... Uh, comedy podcast we get the opportunity no absolutely oh, no, no, i know it's not a comedy podcast but do you know what i mean there's no. not a lot of podcasts. no absolutely yeah comics but, a rare by, treat yes by virtue that well that's the thing is that we went right we'll uh we'll uh, interview musicians obviously let's let's find some um uh let's find some comedians who are yes. sort of into punk rock and no effects and um Oh, you have to sift a lot of silt before you find any gold. I've got to tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> um, we got Sully O'Sullivan, and uh, we got a couple of other people. Uh, Sully will be we're... brilliant. Oh, we, we've yeah, already had Sully. He was great. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, proper good stuff. And um, outside of that, we've got a, a few people uh, in the inbox, back and forth, trying to nail down dates. But uh, yeah, we've been leaning heavy on the musicians for this one. But uh, who knows? <laughs> That's all good, but thank you, Will. You are truly one of the punk rock elites. Uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, let Will go now, but we'll see. Red and I will see you in the outro. We should have warned you to make a cup of tea or something before that started, because <laughs> that's a lot, isn't it? It's great, and I'm delighted that that Will came along. But that is a lot. I think it's going to be really interesting for listeners who aren't previously familiar with Will. Yeah. I think we're really throwing you in the deep end with this mm. one. Um, but, you know, if you have found them, like, interesting, if you're curious about what they do, do check them out. Like, they've got a, a pretty serious back catalogue of 
um, shows. Uh, I know they've recorded and released a lot of stuff through Go Faster Stripe. So there is uh, digital stuff available. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, if go, you like what you hear, do go and check them out. Uh, go Faster Stripe, uh, which contains a lot of great uh, UK comedy that is mm-hmm. not particularly mainstream uh some really really interesting stuff out there a little more uh left field i think will has at least three yes I releases so. on there um i've got two of them on dvd from when they were released a long time ago um and i think you can get each of those digital downloads for about five pounds uh uk i don't know what that would translate to outside of the uk but they are great all of them are really, really great. And a lot of them deal with the roads less traveled, the uh, the more subcultural aspects, a lot of small town stuff. You know, in, in the world of punk rock, you hear a lot about small towns from a US perspective. If you want to hear a musicless small town ode, mm. you could do a lot worse. Uh, from a UK perspective, you could do a lot worse than hearing about the peculiarities of Wiltshire and Chippenham in particular from Will. So pleased we got them on. Absolutely. I mean, anyone with Care Bears tattooed on their knuckles gets a big thumbs up from me. In Old English as well, yeah. It's <laughs> uh, in the Old English script. It's, oh yeah, uh, there's, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think I saw Will's show about tattoos. Or did they, or some sort of working, for, anyway, there's a lot of, um, tattoo uh related stuff it it's just there's so much there for well and and great stuff as well so much uh information i think a lot of people might get a sense of nostalgia even if they don't know these places that will is talking about but the the journey is of finding oneself subculturally sort of national identity and all the rest of it i think that rings true for a lot of people uh, particularly if you only find out that you're queer in your forties, <laughs> you know, it's uh, one of those things, isn't it? You know, so uh, uh, a, a late in life they used to call it, didn't they? But cool. Um, what have we got coming up? Anything uh, new or exciting? I'm still I'm doing a lot of live streams at the moment on Twitch. Uh, cool. The channel is uh, Fruitcake UK. Fruitcake spelled F R double O T Cake. Um, and it's named after the agency that I run, which represents LGBT comedians. Um, and yeah, as I've said earlier in the intro, we've been playing a lot of Gotham Knights, patrolling the streets of Gotham and keeping them safe. I do like that you've spelt fruit the way a company would do if they have fruit flavors, but no fruit content <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in, their, uh, in their products. Like, mm. It was just the domain that was available. Sure, sure. <laughs> and that matters a lot these days. Um, cool. Uh, I've I have probably got some stuff going on. I don't know. Uh, we've got um, we've got some really really cool stuff coming up. So uh, keep your eyes peeled on the Instagram. Uh, follow us there and uh, Punk Rock Elite Podcast at Gmail if you want to get in touch. Uh, if anything, will or either of uh, Red and I touched upon in this episode um, sparked a thought, a memory or a reaction. Let us know about it and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 
Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a pick scraped and fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribe to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.